If you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to 1 John 3. We're sort of halfway through, so if you do have them, obviously as I shared earlier, we're in the confidence series getting towards the end, but 1 John 3, we're going to read it together. It was so interesting. Uh, Sarah and I were blessed with an amazing holiday down south, and it just happened to be that uh, out of all the times that we were out of the country, we were out for the week that... uh, (laughs) that everything went down, and we arrived to the new country, uh, as, as it were. Uh, we were able to follow things and how everything happened, but it was just so weird. You know, we were getting all these messages, oh, you're going for the march, and are you doing this, you're doing this. We we're like, well, we would be, but we're not catching a plane back for it. Um, but I think as Rich shared and as Ian shared, just processing and praying and thinking through, I just want to urge us as a church to continue to pray for the nation, as we've said, um, because that, that our focus, our focus as Christ follows and the nations would be on Jesus as the provider, as the leader, to pray for the Mugabe's, to pray for the Mugabe family, that they'd come to faith. I've got such compassion, and someone shared something else on social media about all the wealthy kids of Zimbabwe. I don't know if any of you have seen it, Uh, and I mean, it's it's just horrific to to sort of see, but as I was watching it, I, I didn't find myself angry. I just felt myself sad, going, these guys desperately need you, Jesus, because everything that they're after and everything that they're chasing after will never satisfy, and it will never save. And, and, and for us to ask God, if, if you don't have a compassion for, for, for the worst, as it were, to ask God to give that to you as you realize that actually, but for Jesus Christ, we'd be in the same boat. So I want to challenge us as a church to be strong in that. For the current president, that uh, obviously that he would run the country well. And for each of us, as Rich shared, to place our trust in King Jesus who rules supreme. And this is such an important time in the nation for us to shine like never before. I trust that we've been doing it in the run-up to this, but so often what happens, and it happened actually when things dollarized in the country, is I found that there was like such a heart of generosity and care and compassion for each other, and oh, I've got some bread, so I'll share with you, and I've got some milk, let me share with you, and there was this real community, there was this real trust in Jesus, and I found that as we went into a dollarized economy, so much of that was lost, because suddenly we have real money now, we could do things with this, and the, the trust and reliance on, on, on US dollars sort of came into place, and I think it, it, it infiltrated us in the church as well. And I find that the same thing can happen now where we've gone through really tough stuff and I'm sure the tough things are going to continue, but there's hope in people, there's hope and change for the nation and I don't want us to lose hope in Jesus and I don't want us to lose trust in Jesus. And so I, I want to challenge us to shine for Jesus that our speech and our conduct in the days ahead would be full of Christ. The way we operate would be full of Christ, that people would look and go, yes, there's hope in the nation, but those guys have real hope. That church has real hope. So let's keep praying for that. So last week, Ian spoke about how our confidence, uh, how our confidence in our relationship with Jesus comes so often from when we abide in him. Abide is obviously connected. It's walking together. It's living together. And as we do that with Jesus, we find we gain this confidence and faith. And our abiding in Jesus isn't what saves us. Believing in him does. It just happens that when we abide in him, we grow in a sense that he's with us because we hear his voice, we see him working in our lives, we see him operating in relationships, we see miraculous happening, and we go, oh great, he's with me, he's alive, he's working, he's speaking to me. And so Ian spoke on that, and I want to dive into it a bit more to look on, I suppose, the key aspect of the gospel, but one that should be part and parcel of our lives each and every day, which is love. And as you abide in Jesus, you find that you grow in love for him, you grow in love for other people, that should be a hallmark for us as Christ follows. So I'm going to cover four points today, and the points are, you don't have to put it up, well done, good clicking. Uh, The points are, what does a gospel of love look like? 
what does a life of love look like? What does that look like practically on the ground? How can we train ourselves to live a life of love? It's not going to happen by accident. And finally, how do we get that confidence in Jesus through love? And so my heart is that at the end of the message, you'll have a clear understanding of the incredibly huge role that love plays in the gospel, and that you would have a clear understanding of how you can outwork that in your life, and if you are ready, how you can grow in that, and if you aren't, how you can start outworking that in your lives. So I'd love us to read together. It's going to be up there if you don't have a Bible, but otherwise, follow along with yours. And this is what it says. John's writing, and he says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our hearts before him, before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what, he ple- or do what pleases Him. How, how many of you would like to receive what you ask of God? Probably all of us, some of, sometimes. So, you know, so, okay, great. So something all of us are after. Perfect. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commands abides in God, and God in Him. By this we know he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So as we look at the gospel of love, first point, love is costly. There's no way to get around it. You can't love without there being a cost. And it involves action. It can't be just words. It's words, yes, but that has to be followed by action. It continues to work when feelings aren't there because love isn't based on feelings. Love is based on decision. It places someone else's needs above our own God is love, and so we need to gain an understanding of what love truly means from Him. That's where we would get the understanding. There's many different things thrown out around in movie, movies and media. Most of it would be feelings rather than love. But love, where we get it from, let's dive into the Bible to find that out. And John writes this at the beginning. He's trying to get it across. And John writes in circles, as we've seen. He doesn't write his letters in logical thought. You'll see through the series that he keeps coming back to the same point. He does it in a circular motion to continue to drive it into our hearts. Right at the beginning, look at what he says. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we're not exactly sure exactly what he's referring to, but I would probably put it out there that he's referring to when everyone was around and listening to Jesus and himself as well, when the Pharisees or them asked, well, what's this really about? What's the most important thing in the world? And Mark uh, 12 looks at this. It's going to be up there as well. I think if you jump to the next one, Mark 12, this is what it says. One of the scribes came up, one of the the leaders, the Pharisees, um, he heard people disputing with one another and, and seeing that Jesus, he answered them well, asked, which commandments is the most important of all? 
Jesus, of everything you've taught, of all of the Old Testament, of all of the Bible, what is most important to us? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So God's saying, actually, right at the beginning, love. He demonstrated love. We'll see that in a bit. But love needs to be key. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I would say that when Paul's looking at it, he's going, guys, this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is what you heard. You heard that most importantly, we love Jesus. Next, we love others. That's why he says that we should love one another. He follows on that we should love one another. So that's fine. It's fair that he says we should love one another, but what's the motivation? It's fine to say, love God. That's what you should do. It's fine to say, love other people. That's what you should do. But what's the motivation? Because the bottom line is, is it's going to be really difficult to love someone we don't like. It's going to be really difficult to love a God we don't trust. So what's the motivation behind it? He answers it further down in the passage, and I'll jump to it in verse 16. That's what he says. By this we know love. By this we understand love. By this we see love. This is, this is how we know it. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So he's saying we should love, but I'm not just telling you to do it. I've demonstrated it to you first. I've showed you what love looks like, and it was on the cross. I've demonstrated it to you. I've come into your world. I've given up what I had. And we had a great talk in the office today, and we're going to get the story out to you probably on social media that Nicola had been reading, talking about what was it actually like For the king of the universe, we read in Philippians, he humbled himself. What was it actually like for the creator to step into our world? To to be born in a stable, but imagine this creator, and and, and she tells the story. Imagine this creator like with blurred eyes trying to pick up the face of his mother, you know, as a baby and and a a toddler. What, What was it like for the king of the universe to humble himself to that level? It was love. It was a desperation to see the relationship restored that had been broken by sin. And so God demonstrated to us, he's shown us love, and that's why we should love other people. That's the order. We first see his love, we see what he's done for us on the cross, and then, as a result, we love others. And if you haven't been taught a gospel of love, you haven't been taught the real gospel. People are told you you just need to believe, and you need to go to church, and you need to read your Bible, and you need to do this with no love evident in it. You haven't heard the real gospel. Because the gospel we know is a gospel of love. It's a God of love. So once we know that we should love others, we need to explore what that actually looks like practically. It's fine to read it in the Bible. It's fine to go, oh, love people. But what does that actually look like? Because I want us to be people, I want us to be a church who practice what we preach, as it were, who live out what we hear. That brings us to the second point, a life of love. So John now jumps into talking about Cain and Abel. Look at what he says. So in verse 12, he says, we shouldn't be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John explains an Old Testament story. Many of you may know the story, but if you don't, it's, it's very early on in Genesis, and Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. 
the first created ones. And they were sons, and they got to work in the fields and, and those sorts of things, looking after animals. And what happened was is that Abel had this heart that just wanted to give God everything. Abel was sold out for Jesus. And what he would do is, when it came time to give offerings, which they did to, to, to please God in the past, now Jesus is our one final offering. But when, when it came to it, he would give the best of what he had. So he would check out the animals, and, and he would look at it and be like, that is my prize animal but Jesus is worth more than that. And so I want to give that over to Jesus. So that's my, my, my prize crop, and I want to give it over to Jesus. And what Cain would do is Cain would give offerings to God, but it was just something random. I sort of imagine Cain looking over and going, well, that's a bit of a scrawny sheep, uh, or, or, or that, 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 that little maze plot is really not looking good. Okay, God, I'm going to give that to you. Here, God, here's my offering. And so he was giving an offering, but his heart was dead. There was no heart of love towards God. And what ended up happening in the story, as we've just read there, but Cain got so infuriated by the fact that God was pleased with Abel, that God saw Abel's life, that God saw Abel's heart from him, that Cain went on and killed him because of this infuriation within him that he wasn't accepted by God and that Abel was. And then John does something interesting is that he links this story to us today as Christ followers. So he says, yes, that was one story, but let's go into the heart. Let's look at what Cain was dealing with. Let's relate that to ourselves as Christ followers, because we're supposed to be the new Abel's, right? We're supposed to be the ones who are sold out for Jesus. And he's talking about those, that those are the ones, Abel type characters are the ones who love Jesus. And the other ones are walking in darkness who are like Cain. Abel brings the best, and Cain brings the standard. John explains that people effectively who are lukewarm in the faith or who don't love the Lord at all are going to find you strange. They are going to find you different. Look at what he says over here, where he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Cain hated Abel. Um, Abel was sold for Jesus. He says, Don't be surprised. And so I want to challenge us as a church to not be surprised. Don't be surprised when things get tough as a Christ follower. Don't be surprised when you get shunned for your faith. Don't be surprised if people, even Christ followers, find you too passionate about Jesus. Happens as well. People look at me like, that person is a bit too excited about God. They're a little bit crazy. Christ followers saying that. Don't be surprised if people think of you strange when you're sold out for Jesus. I was informed too. At St. John's, I was there one day, I didn't bail out. And uh, for some reason, there was a prefect who just decided he hated me. I, I sort of think it was because he was incredibly anti-God, but he hated me, and honestly, I had done nothing. In fact, I hadn't even had interactions with him that would lead him to hate me. But it got to such an extent that, uh, for those of you who've been in, in private school or have gone to watch it, when you have the big rugby games, particularly if it's like a Peterhouse St. John's or if it's a St. John's Prince Edward, we were at St. John's Prince Edward at Prince Edward, so it's the entire school, and I was honestly, I loved rugby. All I wanted to do was watch rugby, so I was the one cheering and supporting. I, I, I was like up at the front doing this. And this prefect singled me out in front of the high, entire school. Robert, stand up. Why don't you even care about your school? Why don't you care about rugby? In front of the entire school. So 500 whatever people. Um, and then I was punished for like the next four weeks after that. But I honestly had done absolutely nothing. I hadn't interacted with him and I was sold out for it. And he did this again and again through my Form 2 year. And it was amazing to me because it was such a story of light coming against darkness. It was such a story of someone infuriated with me, as him as a prefect and me as a Form 2, um, who honestly tried to do things while at school, <laughs> and infuriated, and the only thing I can come down to is a clash of kingdoms. I can only come down to a clash where he was in Cain's camp, 
and he was seeing light operating, not perfect light, <laughs> but in my life and in others, and it just infuriated him. So he made it his mission to make my life miserable that year. And in a way, it was actually encouraging, because in a way, I was going, well, at least I must be doing something right, because there is a clash. Don't be surprised when you face trials of many kinds. Don't be surprised when there's a little bit of animosity against you for your faith. That's the important part, because there could be an animosity against you because you're just a horrible person to be around. <laughs> you might have no friends because you're just horrible. <laughs> but if you love Jesus and you love people and you're hanging out with people and you're getting a bit shunned, <laughs> then maybe you can go, this is a bit of a spiritual battle. But don't suddenly read and be like, I have no friends or uh, those people don't like me, but <laughs> it's because you're just nasty. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not what the story is about. The story is about when you're sold out for Jesus and living for him. So John says something interesting. He says, the differentiating factor, look at this, verse 14. We know that we're passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is amazing. His differentiating factor of becoming a Christ follower is a heart of love. That's what, that's what John says. It's powerful stuff. It's challenging stuff. That if you're operating in love, if you love the unlovable, that shows you, that's proof that you've been saved. And if you don't, and if your heart isn't full of love, you need to just ask the question of, do I know Jesus, or maybe have I slipped out of that close abiding relationship with him? He also takes things a step further, which is scary, and John does this a lot, where he says, he, he takes it into our thought life. Jesus does that as well. Remember how the Pharisees and everyone was debating about adultery? Jesus was like, if you even think it, you've done it. John does the same thing here, where he says, if there's hate in your heart, you might as well have murdered the person. What's he saying? He's saying that, yes, obviously it's worse to murder physically, but he's saying our thought life and what we think and how we act is just as vitally important to Jesus. He cares about the heart, not so much the outward actions. That's important. That's an overflow. He cares about the heart. So the question for each of us today is how is your love meter doing? If you look at what you think about people, what you say about people, how you relate to people in any relationship that you're in and even towards people that you don't know, be it the government, whatever else, how is your love meter doing? Because that will be a great indicator to you of how your walk with Jesus is doing and how your relationship with Jesus is doing. And there's a way that you can reorientate and we're gonna look at that in a little bit. Just a reminder, as I shared a few weeks ago, when John says to love the brothers, the root of brother in Greek is everyone. So you can look at brothers like your close church community and actually, let's face it, even that's tough because you guys aren't perfect and that's why it's difficult for me because I come here and <laughs> I'm just really struggling because it's just, it's just really <laughs> it's because I'm perfect. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're all not perfect and that brings conflict. That's why it's so much easier to do TV church. It's amazing. You get to watch it on a screen for half an hour brilliant preacher, no interaction with annoying people. That doesn't make us like Christ. I'm not saying it's bad to watch things, I'm not saying it's bad to listen to things, but I'm saying that real church involves real people interacting, sharpening, getting frustrated, growing in humility, growing in love and sacrifice for each other. That's real church. That's, that's what we need to be after. And so when it comes down to love the brothers, it's love our church community, but it's to love everyone. So as a Christ follower understands what Jesus has done for you on the cross, when you understand the love that he has, has for you on the cross, it's so much easier for you to outwork that 
and to share your love and to show his love to everyone around. And so what you should see in your life is you should start to see a growing love for the unlovable. As you spend time with Jesus, that, that's what you should start to see. You should start to see an overflow of love for those that everyone else rejects. So it should start to happen. And it's not a natural thing. It's a Christ-given thing. Because we start to gain what he's done for us on the cross and we start to show that to others around you. And that shows you that Jesus is changing your heart. Love for others should be a natural part of our lives, particularly to those of us who frustrate, to those who frustrate us and hurt us. That's actually when you really see God's love in operation. Because it's easy to love those who you're happy with at the time. It's easy. It's much harder when it's someone who you're having a bit of a battle with. And as I said, this won't be possible in your own strength. Only in abiding with Jesus, gazing upon the cross, and asking him to help you live that out. Yeah, and so I, I truly do. I know we shared at the beginning, but I, I honestly pray for Robert Mugabe. I pray for Grace, <laughs> for his wife, Grace, and for Grace for him. <laughs> but I, I pray that they come to know Jesus. I long for them to come to know Jesus. I long for us to meet one day in heaven as brothers and sisters, to embrace and go, but for, but for Jesus, we would all be lost. But now for all eternity, we get to be friends. I pray for that because I know just as much as I'm a mess and I'm in desperate need of Jesus, so is everyone else that we come into contact with. I pray that those society has rejected would flood through our doors at harvest and that we would love them. I pray that we'd get people coming through our doors as we do and as we all are who have been rejected by society for whichever reason, be it politicians, be it those struggling with addictions, whatever the story is, that they would flood into our church and they would be overwhelmed by the love of Christ flowing out through us. It's my prayer, and that's, that, that's what God's church looks like. It looks like a radical love for each of us and each and every one who we come into contact with. I don't want us to become like the Pharisees, because these were people who knew Scripture off to heart, like back to front, off by heart. They knew Scripture. They didn't miss a Sunday meeting. They didn't miss a Bible study, but they didn't have any love. They could say it off by heart, memorize Scripture. They could talk. They could give the speech. They could say it all, but there was no love. I know there's some of that in my heart. And I continue to pray, Lord, please remove any Pharisee, Pharisee type spirit from me because I want to be like you. Their hearts were hard towards others. They were incredibly judgmental. They didn't associate with sinners. Didn't associate with the messed up. I don't want those guys to taint me. I'm close to Jesus. I'm pure. I wouldn't want to hang out with those sorts of guys. It's opposite to Christ. Absolutely opposite to Christ. They shunned those who had, who had hurt them and love and forgiveness were far from them. They walked in darkness and not in light. They lived in death, not in life. And I pray that we would continue to look like Jesus and not like the heart of the Pharisees, that God would continue to keep us soft. They would grasp the love that Jesus has for us deeply and would overflow to others. And so we've looked at the gospel of love, a little bit about what love in our lives looks like towards others, but what about training ourselves in it? Because I don't know about you, <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do in this area. I've got plenty. I've got a lot of work to do to become more like Jesus. But it's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to suddenly be a really loving person. It's going to take some effort on your part. It's going to take decisions, change of your mind, change of perspective. So look at this in verse 18. John's talked for a little bit, and then he says, little children, little children. Uh, <laughs> he was obviously a lot older than me. Let us not love in word or talk, 
but in deed and truth. It's so easy for us to speak about spiritual things, to speak about the Bible, to speak about church, to speak about being filled with the Spirit. The list could go on, but speaking is meaningless unless action matches up with our speech. That both need to go hand in hand together, and equally, our speech <laughs> needs to match up with action because we can do a lot of good things. But if our mouth is full of gossip, if our mouth is full of negativity, it kind of just taints the things that we're doing because it shows our heart isn't really there. So although we mustn't say things and not do them, we also mustn't do things with the wrong words coming out of our mouths. So there's a challenge on both sides. What we say and what we do is really important. We need to love with what we say and with what we do. What we say and what we do need to match up. So how can we improve? How can we train in love? Well, you may not think it now, but I obviously talk about rugby and things like this, and I, and I chatted to Sarah on this earlier, but I was pretty ripped back in the day. Um, for those of you who are more mature, it means I was pretty massive, gym-wise, um, for my small frame. And, and I, so I had to spend a lot longer in front of the mirror than others, um, and it was more to work out how I could, you know, get my body even better before Jesus. So, you know, you obviously some people just look and they're like, oh, I don't like what I see. But I had to look and be like, hmm, okay, so let's see how I can improve it. You know, it's already pretty amazing, but how can I improve <laughs> the Lord's body? You know, teenage, teenagers are terrible, and men as well, you know, because they'll look in front of the mirror and everything else, and they're checking it out, and they're like, but it's all for Jesus. You know, I'm getting myself healthy. I'm getting myself fit. And you're like, but then you can do the gym without the mirrors. No, but it's important. I need to make sure my form is correct. So be correct in front of the mirror. But uh, it's all just a way to look at your body, really. <laughs> so I'm not knocking gym or fitness. In fact, it's brilliant and I need to get back into it. And that's why it's great that we've got people like Kate Lawton heading up body and soul and other gym people and things like that. We need to be doing it. And I've been challenged on it because the bottom line is, is that if we aren't healthy, we're not going to be as effective for Jesus as we could be. So being healthy, eating right, those sorts of things, they're important. They are important to us as Christ followers, but you can take it to extremes as some of us teenagers probably did in the past. So why do I talk about gym when it comes to training? Well, there's such a huge lesson for us to learn in training ourselves for a life of love using the analogy of normal sort of gym or workout training. Huge lesson. And the first step is actually just thinking about doing gym, right? So, so for some of us, we just never think about it. Now you've got some serious problems if you never think about it. Now what you need to do is you've got to just change your perspective to go, gym is actually a good thing for me. Eating healthy is actually a good thing for me. You've just got to change your mind. So that's the first step, change your perspective. For some of you, love for people is not even on the radar. Well, if you're calling yourself a Christ follower, you need to get to the truth of Scripture and say, well, then I'm out of line with Scripture because I need to love people. So you need to change your mind to go, loving people is important. That's, that's just a change of, change of perspective. But you know, for a lot of us, we know that gym or being healthy is a good idea. But when you drive past KFC and you think about what you could order there, I mean, just gym goes out the window, at least it does for me. But um, whatever it is, we, we think about it, but it's a lot harder to act on it. It's a lot harder to act on it. And so you go through that process in gym. I think I should be going to um, body and soul. I think I should be going to gym. But it, it's just thoughts. <laughs> we don't actually ever get to going. But it's good that we're thinking about it. That's, that's more progress than not thinking about it. And so we need to train ourselves in a life of love to think about loving people, to think about it, to let that go through our hearts and our minds. So that's the first step. 
We think about it. We know God's love for us. We know we should have a love for others. But sometimes we struggle to make the decision to start loving people, to start training. And it's not going to happen by accident. We need to start. So we move from thinking, thinking about gym, to actually attending. And the second step is when you actually start. And this is when you might feel a little bit awkward or uncomfortable. Now, I haven't done aerobics before. It's not really very manly. For guys who do aerobics, <laughs> sorry guys. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's very good. Um, I actually did. I, I've done it a few times with Kate, but um, it was a bit painful, so I stopped. Uh, and then, you know, I've done it, I've done it some other times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's why I stopped. I let the real men do it. But... You know, in aerobics class, when you're just joining, it's a little bit awkward when you're like five steps behind everyone else. You know, you're like the awkward person at the back, and everyone's like perfect timing. And it's even worse if when you arrive, the person's like, oh, here's a spot for you in the front. You know, and then there's everyone who knows it off by heart. You're at the front, and everyone else is there, and you have no clue what you're doing. And people are moving right, and then you're moving left, and you hit the person on the side, and then they're trying to do, you know, some sort of activity, and you just look really, really awkward. The same as gym and, and, and you're wanting to do sort of bodybuilding and either you go there and these guys pumping some serious bench press and you go there with like, you know, two little dweeby things on the side. <laughs> you're pretending that you're not straining, but you're really dying. And you, the other people look at you and go, has this guy ever done gym? Does he know what he's doing? Um, or, or you just have no idea really what you're doing and there's these machines in the gym and, you know, you put in the peg and you're trying to work it out and you just don't really have a clue. It's a bit awkward. It feels a bit strange and it, it just doesn't feel like it, it fits. Same thing's going to happen when you start to really love people as a Christian. It's going to feel a bit uncomfortable. It's going to feel a bit strange. It's going to feel, feel a bit awkward. Maybe, but look at that person. They just, they just know how to love. They just, without even trying, they, they're able to love people. Why, I didn't even think about that. How, how did they do that? And, and, and it's just a bit awkward. It's a bit strange. It's a bit, but, but why, why should I love that person who's been so nasty to me? Or, 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 or why should I care about that person who's never cared about me? It's awkward. It's strange. It's a bit weird. But we need to push through it because we know that God's called us to do it. We know it's important, and so we make a start. It may be awkward, but we make a start, and we, we, we sort of fumble around, but we start to improve. And that brings us on to the next step. The next bit is when you actually start to get used to it. You start to get used to this, and actually you start to want to do it. So you've got through the pain, and you've got through the, it's always for guys, it's probably the same for ladies, but it's always the second day after gym. The first day you feel stiff, the second day is way more terrible if you've never done it before. But you start to get through that, and actually you don't feel as stiff, and your muscles sort of feel used to it. And if you go through a day where you don't do gym, you sort of feel a bit strange, you kind of miss it. So like, but I, I, I'd actually quite like to be there. And you're on holiday and you're sort of thinking, I know I'm resting on holiday, but I'd like to go for a run because I want to keep fit. It's, it's part of who I am. It's becoming part of who I am. And as you start to live out a loving lifestyle, you start to live like Christ. Do you know what you'll find? You start to enjoy it. You start to thrive on it. You can't wait for opportunities to demonstrate God's love to people. And even when you get shunned for it, you don't see it as, oh, I'm never going to do this again. You're like, it's okay, Lord, there's a bit of battle, but I just want to love. I want to get stuck in. And you start to notice people to love without trying. You don't have to look around. People just jump out to you from different places, in a shopping center, at church, someone a bit left out, someone to pray for, and it starts to become part of your life as you abide in Christ. It becomes part of who you are. It's the gym training. Then the final place that you get to is really a place where it's just automatic in your lifestyle. Where you've been doing it for many years, you've been involved in gym and you've developed a healthy lifestyle and it's just part of who you are. It's part of who you are naturally. 
That's the place we want to get to. We want to get to the place where loving Jesus and loving others is just a natural part of who we are. It's just an overflow of us abiding with him. It's an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And it just comes out of us naturally. As you continue to abide in Christ, allow him to change your perspective. Make the commitment to love him and others. You'll start to, you'll start to see that your life changes in a drastic way. You'll start to see that when you miss out that connection with Jesus and that loving people, you sort of feel strange and you want to get back into it. So the question for each of us, where are you in the love gym process? Are you not even thinking about it? <laughs> Is it in your mind, but there's no action? <laughs> Have you just sort of started? Maybe these last few months you've been challenged and it's a bit awkward and it's a bit uncomfortable. Keep going. Keep going. Push through the stiffness. Push through the strain. Maybe it's, it's in the mix and it's part of you and it's part of who you are. Keep going. Keep loving. It becomes an automatic part of your lifestyle. So many ways and so many ways we can grow. We're never going to do it on our own. It's going to happen through helping other, you know, getting other people to help us. It's going to happen through small groups that we have operating in the weeks, through men's focus. It's going to happen through ladies' meetups and, and LET meetups. It's going to happen through hanging out with coffee with friends and it not just being a random chat about the country, but actually a chat about where we are faith-wise. What are you struggling with? How can I encourage you? Where can I pray for you? Where are you struggling to love people? It's going to happen as we actively do it, but there's so many avenues that it can happen in. I want to challenge all of us to just get training, wherever you are on the journey of faith. And remember that it's not something you do on your own. We make the decision. We have a part to play. We make a decision. We choose. We change perspective. But we ask Jesus for help. As we look to the cross, as we look to what he's done for us, he gives us the strength. He gives us the courage. Ask him for help, for strength, for a changed perspective, and get stuck in. The final thing, just as I close, short one, is one of the huge blessings as we live a life of love is that we gain more and more confidence in our faith with Jesus. Look at this end off part, verse 19. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. By this we shall know, by the way that we live, by the loving lifestyle that we live, this is how we shall know. We shall reassure our hearts before him. I'm just going to quickly read it and then I've got a short little bit as I close. It's what it says. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, what happens is, is when we're not abiding in Jesus, when we're a little bit far away, we start to not hear his voice that well. We start to not live out this life of love. And so we start to go... Does that mean I actually am following him? Do I actually know him? And we start to get sort of confused. And the thing is, is that knowing Jesus and being saved is not based on how we act. It's based on what we believe. That's why it says God's above that. But there is a very true element that when we aren't walking with Jesus, we struggle in our faith. We struggle in what God thinks of us. We struggle in knowing where we stand because we aren't close. We aren't connected. It says, but either way, we have confidence before God. So it says here, sorry. Um, he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is so interesting. Look at one of the other results that we get. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and we do what he pleases. That's so interesting because I want to challenge us firstly to stay connected to Jesus. But maybe some of you are also feeling that your prayers haven't been answered or aren't really being answered. 
And this is really interesting because Paul, I mean, sorry, not Paul, John says to us here, he says, when you're walking with Jesus, whatever we ask, we receive of him because he keeps his commands, um, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is a huge blessing. And why does it happen? Because once we're walking with him, our prayers are what he wants anyway. And maybe some of you at Harvest have been struggling because maybe you've had a number of prayers not answered. Maybe you're feeling God doesn't really listen when you pray. My challenge to you is to see how are you doing in the area of receiving his love and loving other people. Because as you have that, your prayers will line up with God's. Could be a number of reasons that your prayers aren't being answered. Maybe it's because God's building your patience. Maybe you're in a spiritual battle and it's a bit of a warfare with the enemy. Or it could be that you're praying for things that are not God's heart. For example, if you're praying, Lord, please give me an easy life free from trouble, it's never going to be answered. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Things are going to be tough. So if you're sitting there going, but Lord, come on, things are not getting easier. I need an easy life. It's probably not going to happen because Jesus says, it isn't going to happen. Maybe you're praying and you're just saying, Lord, please help the tax man not to notice that I'm schnying the books. Please. Like, Lord, you've got to help me out. Like, I know I haven't paid my taxes and I know I've hidden it here and I know I've hidden it there, but Lord, please, I just don't want him to notice. Please. In all likelihood, it's probably going to get noticed and you're probably going to get in trouble. That would actually be a good thing because it would get you into the right area of living, right? But that's a prayer that's probably not going to be answered. Please save me from the wrong stuff that I'm doing. But if you change it, and if you're praying things like, Lord Jesus, please show me how to love people today. Please use me to impact someone's life today. Please show me where I can be used most for your glory and your fame. Please show me how I can be generous today and overflowing in generosity. Do you know what? You're gonna find those prayers answered all the time. Why? Because you're praying in line with the God of love. And that builds so much encouragement in our life because you'll be praying, you'll see God answer. You'll be praying, you'll see God answer. And he's answering all the time. It's just a lot of the prayers he's just saying, no, <laughs> that's not in line with my will. That's not in line with my will. I don't want you to be praying that. When we start to pray in line with him, we start to see prayers answered because our heart is linking up with his heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is, it's such a big topic and it's an easy topic to talk about, but it's a harder topic to live out. It's easy to talk about your love for us, to talk about loving our neighbor, but it's so much more difficult to live it out. I know it's, it's such a struggle for me. I think my, my two things or three things I pray for is, firstly, please give us a huge, refreshing, great picture of your love for us, of what it meant for you stepping down from your kingdom into our world what the cross meant for you, your radical love for us. Please give us a big picture of that each and every day. Next, Lord, with your help, please give us a radical love for people, for all people, Jesus, the ones we get on well with, the ones we don't, the ones that are doing terrible things around the world, the ones that aren't. Please give us your heart for them and please help us to be people of love. Please help us to be a church that loves Please help when people talk about harvest. Lord, we're so desperate for them to say, oh my goodness, that church can love like you've never seen before. Please do that in our hearts. I ask that you would help us to be people who train ourselves in love. We get stuck into the love gym. For you, just as you're sitting in as we're praying, you'll know where you are on the journey, whether you're thinking about love at all or not, whether it's just a thought and no action, 
whether it's an action but it's uncomfortable, whether it's part of your life but you're wanting it to be more part of your life. Lord Jesus, wherever we are on the journey as a church, as people, I ask that we would, with your help, grow in this area. And finally, Lord, I want to thank you that as we start to abide in you, as we start to understand your love for us and live it out, we're going to start to see incredible prayers answered because we'll be praying for things that you care about, that it's a joy for you to answer, that are part of your will, that are part of your plan, that are part of your purpose, that we'll start to see increased testimony after testimony of amazing prayers answered, of miraculous prayers answered as we step out in love for you. In your name we pray. Amen.